I think whenever challenges come up, you just have to keep at the heart something my grandmother said to me once, which is to be true to yourself and to be true to your own values and your own principles. And then if you can use that as the thread that pulls you through, then I think at the end of the day, you're going to be okay. Creativity, ideas, and passion. Welcome to the Girls Invent podcast. In this series, we talk to amazing women who, when challenged, have successfully reinvented themselves to take on what life throws at them and build truly authentic lives. At Girls Invent, we also run an inventing and business development program that enables girls to create unique product ideas and turn these into successful businesses. Here is your host, Taya Marie. Welcome to the Girls Invent podcast series. It's Taya Marie here, your Girls Invent host for today. Today's guest is Dr. Claire Wright. Thank you for joining us today, Claire. It's my great pleasure. Thanks, Claire. Claire is a writer, academic researcher, and well-known historian. Now, Claire, when researching and looking into your career, I have to admit I was blown away because being 17 in my last year of high school, questions do arise around being like what future career I want, what I'm interested in, where I really want to go. So I'd love to know how you went about your career and your background. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny. You can look back on a career and, and it makes sense because you can kind of write the story backwards. But when you're actually doing it, Uh, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. And for me, what has given me direction as I take those tentative steps towards my future is just following my heart. I've always done what I love. And I was really lucky because I had parents who told me that I should follow my heart in my life and that I would always be happier if I did that. So I actually finished high school and started uh, an arts law degree at university because law was what you did if you were, you know, a good student and you got high marks. And so I felt like that's what I should do. But uh, I actually deferred after my first year of law and I never went back to it because what I really loved was history. And it's what I had focused on in year 12. Uh, I did my, in year 12, I, the five subjects that I did, you probably wouldn't be allowed to do this anymore. They were so narrow. I did English, English literature, Australian history, European history, and French. And, mm. you know, everybody was jumping up and down saying I should do maths and I should do a science and keep broad. But I actually felt like if I did what I really enjoyed, then one, I would get more out of it, and two, I would probably do better at it. And so once I went to university, I just kind of kept following that principle and I just followed my love of history. And that has really been the thing that has has guided me. And I have just tried to practice doing history, making history in as wide a a variety of forms as I can. So I've been lucky enough to get my research funded through various grants from universities. And then I've also worked in television and radio and journalistic writing, and I do a lot of public speaking. And it all just comes back to to that principle, doing what I love, which is researching and writing history, 
and then taking that next step, which is communicating the results of my research to as wide an audience as I possibly can. And and somehow within all of that, it looks like a career. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. You mentioned about funding. And I, in my research, I did notice that you did receive an unusual source of money, a grant from a university to help fund one of your books being made into a movie. I was wondering if you could share the story behind this great outcome. Yeah, it's it's actually um, what's happening is that um, one of my books, The Forgotten Rebels of Eureka, is being made not into a movie but into a television drama series. Right. And so it'll be eight to ten parts, something like that, in, in its first season. And uh, it is a really uh, incredible thing to happen. And the way that that came about was that I was sitting at my desk at university one day and an email came across my inbox that was saying that uh, the university where I'm I'm working, which is La Trobe University in Melbourne, had started a new uh, scheme which was called the Strategic Innovation Fund and it was to uh, provide seed funding for research that was done in the university to commercialise that search, research basically, to take the research to market with an industry partner. And they were looking for projects uh, to fund to do that. And so I just got incredibly excited all at once because I thought, I've got a project like that. Uh, I had already sold the screen rights to my book to a television production company here in Melbourne. And um, so we were looking for ways of funding the development of the project. And suddenly here, there seemed to be uh, an opportunity that I hadn't even considered that possibly the university might get involved because we were looking at more conventional film funding uh, routes like Screen Australia and the television networks and, and, and private philanthropy. And so I went along and I put in an application for it. And, and the university, I must say, was pretty confronted um, by me coming because the university thought of when they thought of research commercialisation was all coming from from STEM, from the sciences, from technology. And they were really thinking more along the lines of of traditional kind of product development, which is um, what I think of as kind of apps, widgets and drugs, Um, you know, um, biotech and and, uh, pharmacological and medical research and, um, and infotech. And so to have something that came from the humanities that was about storytelling and not kind of app development, well, that was really um, a kind of square peg that needed to be stuck in a round hole. And it took us a while to get there, um, me and the university. There was good, there was a lot of goodwill, and eventually it did come through. I had to pitch um, in front of uh, a board of about 12 people, and uh, I had to pitch my project, and I'd never done anything really like that before. Mm. Sort of like an ag- advertising executive, you know, when you see like in Mad Men or something, you know, standing yeah. up in front of the clients. And um, so I had to do my Don Draper routine up there. Um, but it worked. And the university has been really fantastic about coming on board as a partner 
and they have an investment now um, in the product and we're moving through the process now. That money was used to be able to uh, fund um, a, an incredibly high-profile international screenwriter who had just finished working on the um, a series called Outlander, which some of your listeners might have heard of, uh, a historical series set in Scotland, a time travel series. And she was somebody whose work I admired enormously. Her name is Anne Kenny, and I had gotten in touch with her and sent her a copy of my book and she really loved it and and so now we're we're working together and um along with ruby entertainment here in melbourne and it's really an incredibly exciting project to be involved in and very risk-taking in a way for the university to um to fund something like this because it's not something that uh, as far as we're aware any university in Australia or possibly even the world has ever done before which is to uh, get into essentially screen finance. Yeah that's a pretty cool achievement and I just this leads me to my next question with this great achievement and several projects running at the same time how does this go with balancing work and life because Personally, for me in year 12, work and life is a huge thing that I have to do. And it sounds like for yourself, work and life balance must be really important principle. And I know amongst women especially, we have to make sure that we have a good balance. And I was wondering, how does this mean for you and your life? Work and life balance is something that I've always had to uh, manage and um, and and cope with and find strategies for because I actually I have three children and I had my first two children while I was writing my PhD, so I was doing this you know huge project um, that is really all consuming um, and also. Um, gestating and then having and then raising two new little lives. And uh, there were times when that just seemed completely implausible and um, and I couldn't give the babies back, so I thought I would have to throw in the PhD and that was the only solution that seemed to be available to me. But... Mm. Uh, I, I didn't do that. I had a lot of support from my husband and from my mother in particular to find ways to be able to make both work because um, because my research and my intellectual life and, and, and my career were very important to me and to who I am as a, as a person and to, um, a, and to our family income stream. So actually sort of just going and curling up in a ball in the corner and, and saying it's all too hard. That's often what you feel like you want to do, and, uh, and, but usually you can't. So I, I tend to think of the metaphor not so much as balancing. Like if you, if you look at balancing, you sort of think about maybe standing on a seesaw and you've got one leg on either side and you're trying to get it to be level. Um, and that takes a lot of uh, effort and energy and coordination. I think about it kind of more like juggling. Um, because balance makes it sound sort of like there's uh, an equilibrium and I don't actually ever feel like I'm in equilibrium. It's just all about keeping the balls in the air and not letting them drop and so a lot of the time life feels pretty chaotic but I think the thing that I've learned over the years 
is that I have to look after myself within that. Um, and that was a, a long and hard lesson for me. And because I sort of privileged everybody else's needs, as you tend to do with when you have children, um, and and yet was always kind of working really hard and being a perfectionist about my work as well. And um, and that takes a, to a toll over the long term, even if you don't sort of feel it all at once. Um, you can manage the stress on a day-to-day -day level, but actually over the long term it takes a, a toll on your mind and it takes a, a toll on your body. And, um, and so I had to learn over the years to be much kinder to myself, um, to give myself a bit of a break. And, and so now the sort of strategy that I mostly use is to say, what advice would I give to somebody else right now? How would I speak to and talk to and nurture somebody else who was going through this situation, dealing with this stress or trying to manage and strategize? And I think about what, what advice I'd give somebody else and then I give it to myself and then I follow it because what I tend to find is that I'm much harder on myself than I would ever be on anybody else. And so if I can learn to be kind of more kind and more generous um, in the way that I, I uh, let myself off the hook every once in a while and not such a hard taskmaster, that in the end has actually been the trick that I think to, to long-term sustainability. You have to have both. You have to you have to have your work, you have to have your social life or your family life or your sporting life. I actually think physical exercise is really important. That's something else that I've learned to do. I ride my bike to work, I swim twice a week and actually having uh, a physical outlet and not being inside my head all the time has been really important as well. So um, you develop the skills over the years and sometimes some of the skills are actually about learning to let go a bit. Yeah. That's really good knowledge to know and really good tips. Thank you for that. Throughout your career, it looks very, as I keep saying, it's very impressive and very, you know, wow. Surely you went through many challenges and obstacles. It wasn't as smooth sailing as it looked. Could you tell me what challenges there were or if there were any and what you did to overcome this? Well, there there have been many challenges uh, and and most of them have been in relation to to self-confidence um, like from the outside and particularly I think with with the advent of social media and the way that we project what our life looks like we can kind of curate it from the outside and this is this is the same whether you are a um, you know a successful academic and writer or you are a uh, year 12 student, we all these days um, have ways in which we present our lives and ourselves to the outside world. And most of the time those look incredibly um, shiny and glossy and we choose the best angles and we choose the best lighting and we have a smile on our face. And I think it's really important to never... Um, compare your insides to other people's outsides. I think that to me has been one of the big lessons that I've learned over my career is that everybody has their doubts and they have their moments of, of anxiety and lack of confidence and feeling like other people are doing better or feeling like you should be doing better than you are. 
and and it's it's again it's really important to be kind of gentle to yourself and and to try to find within all of the superficial um instagram version of the world a kind of authenticity uh, i think for me the biggest challenge has been finding my own voice and to finding a sense of what feels like the things that i'm saying or writing or the way that i'm saying them or writing them is authentic and true to me that i'm not living up to other people's expectations or that i'm not trying to cultivate uh, an idea of myself or that that is always in a way going to be a bit unattainable because it's not true so i think in any any time when there are challenges in your life and every individual is going to have different forms of challenges um whether that's going to be illness or grief or um mental health issues like depression and anxiety which i've had to deal with um or issues with your friendship groups or your other relationships in life i think whenever challenges come up you just have to keep at the heart something my grandmother said to me once which is to be true to yourself and to be true to your own values and your own principles and then if you can use that as the thread that pulls you through then i think at the end of the day you're going to be okay yeah that's very wise words our next question is what influences or people have helped shape your passion for pursuing a career in history i was really lucky to have a fantastic teacher in my year 12 australian history class and she's the person that i would credit with kind of turning the light on inside of me and 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 a light that sort of illuminates everything else and makes it all make sense and um and it's funny because i have another friend who was in year 12 with me in that same class and she's still a friend of mine 30 years later and i was saying that to her the other day about this person and and my friend actually continued with history as well and she did a phd and and um she she's actually a high school teacher now but um she did pursue it at a high level for a long time and i was saying this to my friend about this teacher and she said oh my god really she said that teacher almost put me off history altogether i just thought she was terrible so it can actually be a really individual thing who you find inspiring or or a kind of role model and and the thing that i really loved about that woman is she was actually a very bland and plain kind of person but then when she started talking about history it's like she sort of lit up like there was a fire inside her and i think that that is that that really did light something in me too that you know enthusiasm is infectious and she infected me with her her love of the past um so that was really important and then then i've had um 
other role models have, have often been people who um, I haven't known them personally, but I've really been inspired by their writing. In particular, there was one historian called Inga Clendinning, and I loved her writing style. She's an, um, she is an Australian historian. She actually worked at the university department that I ended up going into, um, but our paths only crossed once. And uh, I would have loved to have known her as a person, but um, because apparently she was marvellous. But uh, all everything that I learned from her came through her writing. And I just loved the voice that she was able to bring. I loved her approach to it. And, and it was um, very inspiring to me to think that maybe one day I might be able to approach, even in the slightest way, to have the kind of... Um, uh, appeal and impact that she was able to through her writing. Yeah. And I suppose one other person who has been an inspiration to me, who I've, again, never met, um, is a woman, a British historian called Bettany Hughes. And uh, I've actually never read any of Bettany Hughes's books, but what I've done is watched her documentary series. She's made a lot of documentaries for the BBC in England, and many of them have been shown in Australia. And I became really very inspired um, and, and it fired up my ambition to be able to speak to very wide audiences through the realm of, of television and some of the newer mediums. And it's much harder to do in Australia, unlike in England, where the BBC makes a lot of history documentaries. In Australia, we make hardly any. And um, so it's very, very difficult to get work in this field. And I wouldn't ever want to be pursuing it as a, as a single focus of my, of my working life. But to have it as something uh, sort of on the side has been terrific because it's really made me think more about audiences and who my work is for and the kind of messages that I might want to get across to audiences and how I want to deliver them. So, yeah, those would be the three people who I think have really affected my um, working life. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, what insights do you think history offers us today, especially when it comes to understanding how women can engage and shape the world of innovation? Well, I think the most important insight that studying history and researching history has shown me is that just because you didn't learn about something in school doesn't mean it didn't happen. The past is a time concept, but history is a social construct, by which I mean that histories are written because people choose to write about certain things that happened in the past. And that there have always been women who have done so many um, amazing, risk-taking, challenging things. They have invented things, they've, they've written things, they've shaped ideas, they've built nations, they have uh, taken risks and been entrepreneurs and been inventors and, and just because we don't know their names today, in, in uh, as part of our school curriculum or as part of our larger, wide, mainstream media doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And and I'm, I'm a real believer in that old adage that you can't be what you can't see. And so I think it's really important to have role models from the past to, to understand that it's not just modern women. Um, you know, today's emancipated, um, liberated, uh, 
young women who get out there and, and, and challenge society and think outside the box and um, push the boundaries, that women have always done that and they've always had to do that um, and they've always wanted to do that and they've always aspired to do that. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that women today can get a lot of strength from knowing that women in the past have been problem solvers and have been risk takers and uh, and have um, found solutions to the problems of their day, whether those are technological or political um, or social, that that women have been there every step of the way. And um, so I guess the more you investigate the past, the more you realise actually how little you know about it. And to me that's both kind of frustrating because I think that that young women today could really be inspired by the things that women in the past have done. But it's also exciting because um, I I know there's just so much rich material there for us to tap into. Yeah, of course. Thank you. For our final question, I'd like to ask you, is there anything you would like to say to someone who may be unsure whether they can truly be successful in their life? I think the thing that I would say to anybody who is ambitious enough to want to be successful is that you have to firstly determine what you mean by success. Like, you know, does that mean you want to win the Nobel Prize or does it mean you want to have a happy life and a a stable, happy home like both of those things are equally valid if that's what you view as success. I don't think we can we can um, define success narrowly. Um, but the main thing that I would say is is to be ambitious for yourself and not recoil from it. Um, if you see that there are problems in the world that you want to fix, set about fixing them. Um, make history. Nobody's going to make it for you. Nobody's going to fix the problems for you. And that if you follow your own heart and your instincts and you trust yourself and uh, you will, over the course of your life, find um, the fulfilment of knowing that at least you've had a go. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Claire. Was there anything else you'd like to add or anything that hasn't been covered? No, I think you've done a great job. They're all fantastic questions and and, um, and uh, it's been really terrific to talk to you. Well, thank you for your time and you've really been such a good guest and we really hope that for your future endeavours that they are successful and that you have a really good time. All right. Good on Love you, girls. Thank you so much, Claire. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Girls Invent podcast. Please share if you would like to inspire young women to believe in themselves and go after their hopes and dreams.